This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and supporting listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate to become a supporter. Hi, this is Dennis Hopeless, writer of Spider-Woman, and you are listening to the Two-Headed Nerd Podcast with Joe and Matt. Broadcasting from the ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it's our pleasure to welcome you to THN episode 270, when we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, October 26th. My name is Matt Baum. You can find me at Matt Baumstein on the Twitter. And I'm Joe Patrick. You can find me at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter, and of course, you can follow this black-hearted show at Two-Headed Nerd. Also on the Twitter. In this week's episode, you're here our reviews of Doctor Strange, Sorcerer Supreme, and The Flash, number nine. Then we'll work on our double bass pedal foot speed while we review ten more of this week's new comics during the ludicrous speed round. After that, we'll be teaching Joe about the finer points of stoner metal and gravity bong maintenance in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum when we wrap about some of next week's comics. And finally, it's a fifth week and Halloween is just around the corner, so Joe and I will be counting down our top five favorite Demons! But before we swear our allegiance to the Finnish lords of black metal, let's put on our corpse paint, strap on our spiked armbands, and we'll get ready for our 666th annual Halloween metal show. It's like the fourth annual metal show. Attention, Quar Slaves. Having already violated the art, music, and film worlds, the infamous scumdogs, Guar, are coming for your comic books. Guar, or Gasmageddon, is a blasphemous and blood-drenched four-issue full-color comic book series by Shock Rockers Guar, liberator and critical hit writer Matt Miner, welcome back and critical hit artist Jonathan Brandon Sawyer, colorist Marissa Louise, letterer Taylor Esposito, and editor Brendan Wright. Trampling through the past after being trapped in time by the cold and calculating Mr. Perfect, Guar fights and kills and kills and kills, <laughs> slogging their way through human history in a torrent of gore, blood, bile, and other assorted bodily fluids. Gross. Yeah, the way gross. only the most famous satirical death slash thrash metal band from the depths of outer space can. You had it listed as a heavy metal band. They are not a heavy metal band. No way. They're who, death thrash. Who had them listed as uh, Whoever was writing this. Like, come on, man. Oh, you you wrote that. Yeah, I wrote Death Thrash. This is, look, man, this is from them. I get it. The sick, nobody knows Guar better than Matt, not even Guar. I have seen Guar like six times. <laughs> I mean, they're only actual Guar. Odorous Urunga sp- sprayed semen and pus in my face from his giant fake erection. Boy. <laughs> the series will feature plenty of political satire, especially focused on everyone's favorite weasel-headed <laughs> nugget, Donald Trump. <laughs> now, Matt. Tell me why there is a man in bone armor with four giant exposed dinguses staring at me from the cover of this comic book. Well, Joe, that is Odorous Urungus, lead singer of Guar. Rest in peace. He died in 2014. I thought, Odor- I thought Odorous Urungus was the guy with the big scary f- mask. He's a big scary mask, too, but he wears he wears skeleton armor and stuff. And okay. He has lots of dicks. Dave Brocky was the lead singer of Guar. We lost him too soon, and uh, it's sad. I kind of think Guar should have stopped after Dave died, but they are gone on and, you know, they're doing fine. Whatever. I do think Guar, this is not Guar's first comic book appearance. They've had other comics before, but this looks like they're really going for it. Like a slick, sexed up Kickstarter project to fund everyone's favorite 
cult metal band. They, for those of you who don't know, and if you don't know, there's something wrong with you and you haven't been paying attention. Guar are supposed to be aliens that came to Earth to enslave us with their thrash metal while spraying blood, fake blood and semen and gore onto the crowds that go to see them. It's fantastic. They're the Gallagher of metal bands. Sort of. Their live show is amazing. I was at one where they had a giant worm that came out in the crowd to eat our girlfriends and we all fed our slut girlfriends to the slut worm. <laughs> wow. And the worm ate them and they came out the other end covered in like brown jello. <laughs> It was so great. Sounds like a great. Oh man, it, like a great. it was hilarious. It was all costumes and big weapons, but they Sounds could like also a great time. They could also really play. Like they were talented musicians, and they played great thrash metal. All right, enough about the band. In addition to the main story, every issue will contain extras, shorts featuring the X Cops. I've seen the X Cops as well, which is a side project from uh, from the nineties. Yep. The Follies of Sawborg Destructo, Guar's fearsome but mostly incompetent nemesis from planet Scumdogia. Yep. Each issue will also <laughs> feature art and story contributions from Guar members themselves, starting with pieces by Bob Gorman, a.k.a. Bone Snapper the Cave Troll, or Bone Snapper, the Cave Troll, as though they are two different characters. No, 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 no. He is okay. a Cave Troll. And Matt McGuire, Sawborg Destructo. He's a robot. Matt Miner is running a Kickstarter campaign through November 25th to fund the project, Backer rewards range from comics and exclusive Kickstarter covers to limited edition t-shirts, original painted art on drum heads from Guar themselves, painted baby Gorgar character dinosaurs, <laughs> stage used Guar props, and autographed merchandise such as posters signed by the entire band, including the late Dave Rocky. Bleeding Cool, who was our source for the story, spoke to artist Jonathan Brandon Sawyer, <laughs> That's a great quote. who said, quote, well, we've got a plan to make America guar again, and let me tell you, it's the best plan. The best. It's tremendous. Ask Sean Hannity. <laughs> Nobody knows how to make America guar again better than us. Nobody. And we're going to do it. Bigly and Big League. Both. End quote. <laughs> yeah, this is going to be fun. Well, they've got my vote. I'm going to throw some cash at this. <laughs> this is every guar fan's dream. I mean, like, if I, I wish I had enough money to actually get a guar prop, that would be amazing. But you love guar. Go to Kickstarter, throw some cash at this. There's much worse things you could be spending your money on. Joe, good news. Hey, Star Trek Discovery showrunner Brian Fuller. Yeah, I like him. Has stepped down from <laughs> his role just <laughs> weeks before the live action <laughs> CBS series was scheduled to begin filming I'm, in Toronto. I'm sorry. I, I thought I heard you say that he. <laughs> According to Variety. Step down. Now, before you freak out. There's, oh. a, there's a sunnier side to this. Oh, okay. According to Variety, the decision was made last week after Fuller found himself unable to balance the series with his commitments to two other series, the Stars Channel, American Gods, which adapts Neil Gaiman's book, and NBC's reboot of Amazing Stories. Yeah, okay. I loved Amazing Stories. Neither one of those things have anything to do with Star Trek. <laughs> the executive producers of Star Trek Discovery... Gretchen Berg and Aaron Harberts are said to be stepping up as the showrunners with writer, director, the man that brought you Transformers 1 through 8, Akiva Goldsman. Are you f***ing kidding me? <laughs> Joe, are you ready for first medical officer Megan Fox in her midriff uniform? God damn it. I know. It's like we can't have nice things. The uh, Akiva Goldsman also wrote... The script for Batman and Robin. Yep. I am Legend. I mean, I kind of like that. I am Legend. I, Robot, which was f terrible. Uh, oh, he's, <laughs> he, he's writing the screenplay for The Dark Tower. 
But he also wrote. Yeah, he was the guy that edited out all of the homosexual aspects of John Nash's life. I'm conflicted. I'm conflicted. He sucks. He sucks. This guy totally sucks. He writes big movie schlock. We're freaking out because Brian Fuller is gone. But they did go on to say that he's not exiting the show completely and he's going to be involved with story breakdowns and he will be an executive producer. He wrote the initial proposal for the series as well and the initial drafts of the first two episodes. So he's doing stuff. And there's no word if the staffing is going to change, if this staffing change is going to further delay Star Trek Discovery. In September, CBS pushed the series back from January to May, Ugh. citing a request by the producers to allow more time for filming and post-production. This just sounds like a gigantic mess. Hey, look, they can have until next January if it means Brian Fuller can be involved. I mean, I, yeah, that's the <laughs> thing. It's like Brian Fuller, who we love. Worked on Hannibal, worked on Pushing Daisies. He's amazing and makes amazing television. I'm Dead Like Me, right? Is that him? Yeah, worked on Dead Like Me for Showtime. I think that was on. Mandy Patimkin was amazing on that show. To hear that he's leaving to go work on a Stars miniseries, you know, for American Gods, which is cool. I mean, American Gods is a big deal. Yeah, you get to work with Neil Gaiman and stuff like that. And NBC bringing back amazing stories is fun, sure. But like, isn't Star Trek like a much bigger property? It makes me worried that he left for other reasons. No, I think he'd do all of it if he could and he just overcommitted. Maybe. I hope so. I hope that's it. I mean, that dude is in high demand. NBC kept Hannibal on life support for three seasons. It was so good. It was so good. That show was too good for this earth. Yeah. It did not belong on network television. I mean, this is the flip side of Brian Fuller. He makes shows that are too good to live, right? Yeah. yeah. Pushing They're Day- too beautiful for this world. Yeah. Let's just call it the mass audience did not latch on to Pushing Daisies, which is a wonderful television program. Yeah. And he, he, it's kind of a, he's kind of a niche guy. It should be said Goldsmith has also signed on for the Mask movie. Mamama Mask? The ROM movie. Oh, boy. And Transformers 8, which looks like is going to tie... 7 and 8, which look like they are going to tie into those as part of a shared universe. How how many Transformers movies are there already? There are six. Are there? Yes. There's also an untitled Transformers spinoff coming. Thank God. I've only seen the first two. Yeah. I mean, like... Ugh, I just I it's so hard for me to get excited when a name like this is attached to this project. I'm still cautiously optimistic if we ever see it. I don't know. They haven't even started filming it yet. I thought it was filming. I thought it was going. <laughs> you know, no, this this doesn't thrill me. Can we move on to something? Me neither. Can I'm we not, move on to better news. <laughs> I'm not thrilled. I'm not thrilled either. I'm I'm worried now. Yeah. Like I went from yeah. very excited about the future of Star Trek to, to being kind of worried about it. Extremely worried. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, here, I mean, here's a little bright spot. One of the most acclaimed creator-owned comics of the last 25 years is returning with new stories for the first time in more than a decade. A report from comicbook.com states that Terry Moore's next series, Motor Girl, will not be a multi-year epic like Strangers in Paradise, Echo, and Rachel Rising have been. Instead, the series will only last about a year before Moore returns to his long-running series, Strangers in Paradise, in time for his 25th anniversary. It's weird that they announced it now, because that's not until 2018. Yeah. <laughs> Strangers in Paradise ran from 1993 to 2007, and Moore's first work in the and it was Moore's first work in the industry, following a career in advertising, music, and animation. 
It centered on three friends, Kachu, David, and Francine, who had a complex relationship and dangerous pasts. There was drama and oh, yeah. smooching oh, yeah. and comedy. And science fiction later. <laughs> it was weird. Well, sort of. <laughs> Strangers in Paradise hasn't been gone completely, though. Supporting characters from the series have played key roles in both Echo and Rachel Rising. And one of the main characters in the upcoming Motor Girl, which is a sci-fi comedy about a woman who repairs UFOs, is Kachu's Aunt Libby. So these all kind of take place in the same universe, yeah. which is super weird to yeah. me. No, it's the Terry Moore-verse. The Terry Moore-verse. Yeah. Uh, he's also done a number of all-ages one-shots called SIP Kids, which, yeah, I mean, it's cartoony comic yeah, strip was, stuff. Yeah. Revisiting iconic works can be tricky business, even when the original creators are involved. Can Terry Moore go home again? I guess we're going to find out. Um, this stuff always worries me for two reasons. One, if he returns to it and it's not as great as we remember, then that can magnify things and people go, this is the worst. But you his know? but his books have all his follow up books have all been great. They have been. Yes. But there's no reason to, but to Terry, expect. The other thing that worries me is that Terry Moore has been pretty vocal about how difficult it is to put out these comics and how they're not selling very well. Yeah. and It's costing him money. Like, is this a desperation Thing to go back to his last big hit. Well, how desperate can it be if it's not happening until 2018? I mean, I don't know. Maybe he's trying to get a bunch done. Maybe he's giving himself time to finish this other stuff. I don't know. Terry Moore has definitely been vocal about. Sure, he has how, spoken about the realities of self-publishing. Yeah, in, in it's the very market. difficult. Yeah. I get it, and I want this to be great, and I want a guy like Terry Moore to have a comfortable life because he deserves it. He's a very talented artist. We've loved everything the guy has put out. It's gotten a little weird sometimes, but I always stuck around for it, and it was always great. I hope that's not what's pushing this, the fact that he is in trouble, because I love the guy. Uh, I understand what you're saying, and uh, you know, again, it's not fair for us to speculate about his personal status, but right. hey, I have this fun thing going on. Uh, it's not coming out for two years. I think it'll be really great. It's not really the move of a desperate man. No, that's true. That's so true. That's true. I, I love Strangers in Paradise. Uh, unlike something like Preacher or Cerebus or Bone even, which had a definitive ending. Right. Strangers in Paradise, you know, it's just about people's lives. It it, it can be open-ended. It's not, it doesn't end with Francine getting shot. You know, it. Right. It's not about. No, I definitely don't have those feelings. We're like, no, don't go yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Um, by all means, if you have another story to tell with these characters, if it makes sense to, to go back to it, absolutely do it. And like the report said, he's been sort of doing it ever since he left by having uh, the side characters pop up in his other projects. So I think this is exciting news. Yeah, no, definitely. And I hope it's great. I really do. I love Strangers in Paradise. I, I love Terry. I love Moore. Terry Moore. I, I feel bad because I did not. I, I fell behind on Rachel rising from like the jump and never got caught up. And I've heard nothing but amazing things about it. It's great. So I need to go back and read Rachel Rising. I loved Echo, which was his sort of superhero sci-fi book. Hey, it's Halloween weekend. Everybody go pick up back issues of Rachel Rising. Boom. It's a great spooky book to read for Halloween. That's big news for this week. If you like to discuss these stories and, and everything we missed, like when we didn't talk about Donald Glover being confirmed as young Lando in the Han Solo movie. But we touched on Donald. Oh. But we touched on them. <laughs> yeah, but it's confirmed and like nobody else should have been doing it. So good job, Hollywood. Every once in a while, you do something right. And we also didn't talk about the upcoming return of the original Lobo. That's because true. Because who gives a Head over to the Two-Headed Nerd forums. 
big news section and tell us how weird it is that Lobo will be leading the Justice League of America. <laughs> Boy, a villain in a superhero team. I've never seen that before. Stupid. Although Steve Orlando's going to write it. so It's not stupid. It's a classic comic book trope. But Lobo? The villains are on the team. What? The main man? The main man. The bastard. Every Sunday, my favorite bastich, Joe Patrick, posts the question of the week in everyone's favorite digital nerd sanctuary, the THN forums. Joe Patrick, what are we asking the nerds this week? This week's question comes from our buddy Zach Hollowell, who reached out to me on Facebook because he couldn't figure out how to use the forums. Come on. Zach writes, quote, a few weeks back, Joe and Matt got to have a really good one-sided conversation about G.I. Joe. I remember it. It was awesome. We had a great time. It having the largest and most varied roster of insanely impractical heroes and villains from any 80s property, which is saying a lot. I'd like the listeners to pick their favorite member of the Joe team or their favorite Cobra agent or their favorite vehicle and tell us why they love it. Pick one. One. And discuss it. Joe guy. Not one of each. Cobra guy or vehicle. If you are throwing, if you're putting all your money on the roulette table that's labeled Galobulus, <laughs> I want to know only about Galobulus. Exactly. <laughs> you have until 5 p.m. Central Standard Time this coming Friday. It's November 4th. Correct. To get us your answer, you can call the Ziggurat hotline 402-819-4894. You can leave a message there. And if you're not a genetic mashup of Attila the Hun, Vlad the Impaler, uh, Joseph Stalin, etc., etc., etc. I think Napoleon was in there. Napoleon, too. yeah, Joseph Stalin might not have been in there. But not Hitler. He's too bad. No, Hitler was too bad. <laughs> Hitler was too bad for Serpentor. Cobra knows where to draw a line. Yeah, okay? that's right. <laughs> you can send an MP3 to 2 at gmail.com. Whatever you do, you've got only two minutes. I think it's their it. bumper sticker. Cobra, hey, we're not Nazis. <laughs> hey, awesome. <laughs> at least we're not Nazis. Sign me up. <laughs> Once again, two minutes. You'll get cut off. If you need more time than that, feel free to write your full answer in the question of the week section of the THN web forums and then tune in next week on Thursdays usually to hear you and your fellow listeners on the THN Answer of the Week podcast. It's review time in the Ziggurat where Joe and I take a break from practicing our hammer-ons and squeals to review two of this week's new comics. Joe Patrick, take it away, brother. I know what hammer-ons are because of the game... Guitar Hero, thank you. <laughs> this week caught me by surprise. I was going to review something else. I thought I would be reviewing The Vision or maybe one of the indie we number both ones. both bounced around a lot. Uh, but I had to talk about The Flash, number nine from DC Comics, written by Joshua Williamson. With, I'm not caught up, so you're on your own here. That's fine. Okay. With art by Jorge Corona. It's 32 pages for $2.99. Here's your solicit. Kid Flash of Two Worlds! In this single-issue tale, Wally West meets Wally West! The original Kid Flash meets his cousin for the very first time in this special issue, which continues the Flash's investigation into the events that began in DC Universe Rebirth number one! You kind of sound like um, Harry Carey via Will Ferrell when you do that. Hi! <laughs> Joshua Williamson has been steadily building on to the Flash legacy since the most recent relaunch, introducing a number of new speedsters and a powerful new villain called Godspeed. Now in the aftermath of Godspeed's defeat, spoilers, the storyline ended, and after literal years of teasing, I think like four years of teasing? 
Barry Allen is finally faced with the debut of the all new oh. Kid Flash. Oh, okay. Like the future's end. Yeah. They introduced the new Wally West years ago in the right. new 52. And then there was that future's end one shot, whatever year that was, that showed him five years in the future as Kid Flash. Oh, right, right, right. And it's just been nothing since then. As his usual MO dictates, Flash takes the younger Wally under his wing and begins to train him in the ways of the Speed Force, eventually crossing paths with the original Wally West, my favorite comic book character of all time. Yes, yes, we know. I personally find Barry to be a pretty boring character. We've talked about it a lot, and I'm not going to really get into it here. But Williamson keeps the focus on his connection with his current and former sidekicks. The new Wally has a lot to learn from the old, and Williamson gives us a lot of great moments between the two of them. I didn't keep up with the previous volume of The Flash, so maybe this happened before, but I was pleasantly surprised to see the return of a classic Wally supporting character in the form of the younger Wally's best friend. And I don't want to spoil it for the listeners, so edit this out, but it was... Oh, yeah, it was great. I can't deny it. The biggest draw for me with this issue is nostalgia. Williamson is able to hit so many of those beats that brought me back to what I loved about this corner of the DCU. It was like reading Jeff Johns in his prime. And that last page reveal, you guys, there is a last page cliffhanger. Even though we may not find out what it all means until down the line, it has caused me to double down on my investment in DC Rebirth. I am all in the art by Jorge Corona is very different, at least from what we're used to seeing in this book. Typically, we're used to Carmine Deej and Domenico's thin, slick style full of flashy effects. Corona's style is almost dated in comparison, and his thick black lines might even seem a little clunky at first glance. But his art has a real motion to it. It's got this dynamic quality that I didn't even realize I was missing before because I'm a fan of DJ and Domenico. I like his work, but now that I've looked at a bunch of it and read a bunch of issues in a row, I feel like he might not be the best fit for this title because it's all posed figures with heavy Photoshop effects, like all the lightning. It's all just effects, effects, effects. Yeah. I do like his art a lot though. I like, I do, but I just don't know if he's right for this. Okay. Uh, On the other hand, though, Corona's art really moves and he hand draws all of the speed force effects. Is he the new penciler on the book? I don't think he is. I think it's just a fill in. And it's beautiful. Like at first I looked at it and I was like, oh, this is weird. And then I read it and it's gorgeous. Okay. It might seem a little less flashy. No pun intended for real. I did not mean that. Normally I do, but it works perfectly here. I really hope we see more of Jorge Corona on this book. Like I said, I was already enjoying a lot of what was happening at DC, but after the flash number nine, I'm all in. I'm giving it a buy it. Oh, it sounds like they're doing it right. I wish that you could enjoy it with I'm me. Sorry. <laughs> I was behind. I had too much to read. It didn't stop me from reading Dr. Strange. Let's talk about that. Well, yeah, but you didn't catch up to read it. I didn't, but I read it anyway. <laughs> yeah. Okay. This week I picked out Dr. Strange and the Sorcerer Supreme. Number one from Marvel. You may have heard there's a little movie coming. I'm kind of excited for it. Mm. So it's written by Robbie Thompson with art by Javier Rodriguez and Alvaro Lopez on inks. Colors by Jordi Belair and lettering by Joe Carmanga. 32 pages. 
for $3.99. Just in time for the Doctor Strange movie to hit the big screen, Marvel finds a way to sneak another strange book onto the stands. This story takes place after the last days of magic storyline in the pages of the regular Doc Strange Monthly. In that story, a group of aliens, annoyingly named the Empirical, came for the Sorcerer Supreme as a part of their mission to stamp out magic in the universe. So, here, Stephen finds himself disconnected from magic as he used to know it, and he's forced to use magic weapons and trinkets to amp himself up. He's kidnapped and dragged through time by his old friend Merlin and thrown onto a team of other time-displaced sorcerers, Supreme, to fight an enemy Merlin calls the Forgotten. Thompson does a great job of capturing the personality that Jason Aaron has brought to Steven in his monthly books, but Javier Rodriguez gives the story a, a very different feel, and I gotta say, I don't like the way that he draws Stephen Strange. He made him look kind of douchey. <laughs> so Javier Rodriguez, if I am remembering the name correctly, was the artist on Spider-Woman. Yes. Whom I, and I love him. He's great. Um, He's really I, good. I agree. That wasn't working for me here. It's, and now, the only thing that didn't work was Strange. I thought everything else looked really, really cool. There, there's a two-page spread of Strange and Merlin like traveling through time in this crazy M.C. Escher-looking lunacy that would make a rad velvet painting that glows in the dark. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> would, you know? yeah, really and would. I don't think anybody with Jordi Belair could have like brought that to life the way he did. It's just amazing. I just didn't like the way he drew Strange. Everything else was really cool. The group that he joins has some interesting ramifications for the future of the Marvel U. I'm not going to spoil some stuff here. But we know that future Wiccan is there. Isaac Newton from Jonathan Hickman's S.H.I.E.L.D. comic is here. And he has a magic helper. Instead of it being a mindless one, it is a mindful one. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> no doubt this is a cash grab from Marvel to squeeze every last penny out of Doctor Strange at the top of his popularity. But it's also a well-drawn and written cash grab. It's a little more lighthearted than the other monthly title, but I did really enjoy it. And it's good to see that Strange can still hold his own on a team. He's been a loner for a long time since New Avengers, and he never even really worked very well there, I would say. I'm giving this a buy it. It was just fun Doctor Strange storytelling. I really liked it. I'm not caught up on Doctor Strange. I read the first couple of the Jason Aaron, uh, Chris Bacalo run. And it was good, it's and great. I and I enjoyed it, and it's I'd like to get stuff. caught up. But you know, we that's the old story. We've said it a thousand times. It's hard to keep up. Right. Um. So I just re I went in cold, and I read this. I do not like the design of Doctor Strange. It's gross. Yeah. He's he looks young. His beard's all stringy and weird. Like he can't grow a proper mustache. Well, see, and when when Chris Bacalo, when Chris Bacalo draws him, he looks great. Sure, and I, I and I understand that it's different artist, and right. and that's fine. I just it's not working for me. Um, the art in general is very strong. I love Javier Rodriguez. He's great. I, I think he's, he's very great. talented. Uh, it's, it was cool to see all the different sorcerers Supreme. Mm -hmm. There was like a version of ghost rider, but yeah, I thought they were all pretty neat. Uh, the story is fun. It's got time travel. It's got Camelot. It's got Merlin. I like all that stuff. Let I, me ask you, it's just good. It's just a good time. Is Wiccan wearing cloaks cloak? It sure did look like it. It really did, right? right? And I think that this is that's happened. not what Wiccan wears. No, and but I think that they have shown him like this before, and I just can't remember where. Okay, I think they have shown Future Wiccan, and he's wearing the cloak. When we say cloak, we mean of cloak and dagger. Fit. Right, right. Except it's red and not blue. Yeah. Uh, so yes, I, I 
to answer your question, yes, I think it is Cloak's Cloak. I think it is. And I think they've shown that before in, in flash forward stories. Right. I just don't remember what book it was. Yeah. Um, but yes, I thought this was fun. I liked it. It's a buy it from me. Cool. Uh, even though I'm a little disconnected from what's going on, I still had a great time. I didn't have any trouble following it. They recap everything perfectly well. Yeah. Yeah. The flashbacks tell you everything they you need to know without being clunky. It's a good time. So that is a buy it for Flash number nine and a double buy it for Doctors Strange and Sorcerers Supreme number one. That's not the title of the book. <laughs> now, There's only one Doctor Strange. Now it's time for you, Time Displaced Magicians and Rebirth Speedsters, to play critics. So head over to the THN forums at thnforums.boards.net and tell us what you thought of these comics. <laughs> The double bass pedal was invented for one purpose, speed. Well, I don't even understand what terms like thrash, death, and black metal mean, Matt does, and undoubtedly he's writing this while listening to some terrifying band with a name I don't even want to say out loud. It's probably Infinite Annihilator. It was Infinite Annihilator. Thank you. (laughs) So join us now while we use the speed force to jump our 132nd notes to 528 notes while we review 10 more of this week's comics during the ludicrous speed round. Those numbers don't even make sense. It's really, really Ludicrous speed! (laughs) Go! Call of Duty, Zombies, number one from Dark Horse. The only reason I... Speaking of cash grabs. (laughs) The only reason I picked this up was because Luther Strode writer Justin Jordan was helming the book. Unfortunately... I do like him. It turned out to be another video game adaptation that drops you right in the action without any explanation. The story, what there is of it, centers around, you guessed it, killing zombies with characters that must be fleshed out in the game, I'm guessing, but it really didn't do anything here. That's the thing, is that it's not a video game adaptation. It's an adaptation of a multiplayer mode. Yeah. From a game that's about something else. No, I think there is an official Zombies game. Is there? Yeah, I think so. There wasn't much to grab onto here other than some solid art. Call of Duty Zombies gets a very low skimmer. Serenity! No power in the verse from Dark Horse. Hot take. I'm not sure I care about Serenity Comics anymore. Yeah. Yes, there have been some really good ones. The Shepherd's Tale graphic novel, for example. Oh, that was good. There's Somni? Come on. Yeah. But unlike Buffy and Angel, Joss Whedon got to come back to the Firefly universe in the Serenity movie and finish the story that he wanted to tell. They wrapped up all the loose ends. Yeah. Anything after that has just kind of felt samey to me, which is Matt's favorite adjective. Oh, God. It's not that writer Chris Roberson and artist George Janty don't do a fine job stepping into this world they do but something just seems lacking for me the book is good so maybe i'm the problem so i'm giving serenity number one a strong skin i thought it was fine i'm with you i just thought it's it's fine at best it's well done it's not bad it's just i it is fine i i think i'm done yeah i'm just done with it action man revolution number one from idw of all the revolution books i've read this is the one i knew the least about action man is an english contingent of the gi joe transformers mask crossover and so far it's the one i've enjoyed the most john barber writes a story of of the action man group and action man himself who seems to be the only one that knows that the transformers may not be the menace miles mayhem thinks they are great art here by paolo paolo villanelli Action Man Revolution gets a buy it. All right. It was kind of fun. Wolf Cop, number one from Dynamite. Wolf Cop is based on the 2014 Canadian horror comedy about, you guessed it, a cop that turns into a werewolf. So it was a movie. Yes, it's a movie. All right. 
Leave it to Dynamite to jump on the hottest and most relevant licensed properties. <laughs> Bet this cost them five bucks. Look, this is nothing but an excuse to make a gore fest full of bad puns, but writer Max Marks knows exactly what he's doing here, and he doesn't take the story too seriously, and he just has fun with it. This is co-branded as an Arcana book, so I guess Arcana got bought out by Dynamite? Maybe we actually have touched on this before. Yes, yes, yes. So the art is credited to Arcana Studios instead of a team of actual human beings, which is real nice. Uh, and it's a shame because I'd like to give credit where it's due. It it does look like the issue may have been handled by more than one artist, but they do a decent job and the transition isn't too jarring. Most readers will turn their noses up at this sort of thing and I would normally be one of them, but Wolf Cop number one was more fun than I was expecting. Skim it. Okay. Uh, another Wolf Cop just came out this year. So they, it is hot and fresh. And it is called Another Wolf called Cop. called Another Wolf Cop. Yeah. Prowler, number one from Marvel. The Prowler was recently killed in the pages of Amazing Spidey. No spoilers here. But he and a bunch of other Spidey That's villains have been miraculously cloned by the Jackal as part of the clone conspiracy. The thing is, the Jackal didn't know that Hobie Brown has been working with Peter Parker. And now he's Pete's inside man. Dan Slott has given this character life, killed him, and now Sean Ryan is bringing him back and fleshing the Prowler out even further. Great art here, too. This was fun. Giving it a buy. I've always liked the Prowler. I love Hobie Brown. The Vision 12 from Marvel. Tom King, Gabriel Hernandez-Walta, Jordi Belair, and the rest of their team bring the Vision to a close with an issue that runs the gamut of emotions from heartbreaking to heartwarming with an ending that will either make you go... Oh, how nice. Or, oh, God, that is not okay. <laughs> what a special series this has been. I don't know what would have happened if King had not chosen to go DC exclusive, but we got 12 perfect issues of The Vision that have been a joy to read. Buy it. Yeah, it's too bad. Bloodshot USA number one from Valiant. All hell is breaking loose in Manhattan, and Project Rising Spirit is once again to blame. This is Jeff Lemire's take on the 9-11 conspiracy if George Bush planned to kill everyone on the island. Now, Bloodshot and the others that have been empowered by the Nanites, as seen in the regular Bloodshot series, are the only ones that can clean up a mess that could destroy the Big Apple. Doug Braithwaite is kicking ass here on Pencils, and as usual, Jeff Lemire is writing kick-ass superhero comics with no leash. Anything goes. Bloodshot USA gets a bite. Okay, but this is my problem with Valiant. Not, I'm not mad at him for it, but there are a lot of little spin-off minis and things that are branching off from the main series that aren't part of the main series, and it's very hard to keep track it of. It can be confusing. If you are a casual fan. It can be confusing. So I read it. I was a little lost, but I did love it. The Skeptics, number one from Black Mask. The Skeptics is the story about a group of fake psychics that are trying to con the government into making them secret operatives in order to prove the point that there's no such thing as psychics. Okay. Yeah. I enjoyed the art and the mod character designs from Devaki Niogi, but teeny or tiny, I'm sorry, Howard's story just didn't click for me. The book's internal timeline doesn't really make sense either. It goes from, oh no, the Russian agents are on their way to, the Russian agents are in the next room, in a matter of pages, and it makes some jarring transitions in and out of flashback. You might find something more to hook you than I did, but I have to give the skeptics number one a skim it. Huh. Wonder Woman, 75th anniversary, one shot from DC. This is a collection of amazing creators that have come together to celebrate Wonder Woman's 75th birthday in a series of beautiful short vignettes, pinups, 
and a pretty long magazine-type interview with Lois Ling. All the stories here are interesting and beautiful and show the different sides of Wonder Woman, but they're also so short that it is really hard to get invested in any of them. Carl Kershaw did one that was one of the most beautiful things I have ever seen. It is exactly two pages long. <laughs> and like nothing happens in it. <laughs> With an $8 price tag, this book is probably only for the hardcore Wonder Woman fans out there. I gotta say, if I paid eight bucks, I would only be able to give this a skim it. Vigilante Southland, number one from DC. The classic DC character receives yet another reboot, this one centered around a young black man in South Central Los Angeles seeking revenge for the death of his girlfriend. So far, it seems pretty disconnected from the original Vigilante, but that's just fine. It's a compelling story, well told by crime author Gary Phillips, with some excellent art by Elena Casagrande. That means big house. <laughs> Elena, big house! Phillips's dialogue leans a little too heavily on slang for my tastes, which would be totally fine if this were a movie or a TV show and it were coming out of the mouths of living oh, human right. beings. It can be But written and yeah. read silently, it's a little awkward. Yeah. Still, the characters are genuine, the story is interesting, and the art is great. I'm giving Vigilante Southland number one. I buy it. That is your ludicrous speedrun, and Warch is the automatopoeia of the week. That was hard. Yeah. And the sound of a human cop losing his lunch while turning into a wolf cop, as seen in the pages. Wolf Cop number one. Yeah. That's what happened. <laughs> exactly. If you want even more reviews of this week's comics, head over to twoheadednerd.com and check out everyone's favorite bulimic werewolf, Aaron Myers, and his ludicrous speed reviews. And remember, you can pick up these and all the rest of this week's new comics and trade paperbacks through our new Amazon link at twoheadednerd.com. Just check the show notes. It's a great way to get your funny books and support the show. Right on. This week in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum. I'm teaching Joe about the subtle differences between stoner, sludge, and doom metal while we clean out our official Bongzilla gravity bong. Joe, whose idea was to fill this thing with Old English, by the way? Uh, I believe that was Stony Matt last night when you were blaring the latest Weed Eater record? Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Joey, while I give this bucket a good scrubbing, why don't you tell the stoners about your must-read pick for next week? Next week, my pick is Motor Girl number one from Abstract Studios, written and drawn by Terry Moore. I didn't even know it was on the list for next week when I wrote that story. It's 24 pages for $3.99, but there are no ads. It's a self-published book. Yep. Here's your solicit. First issue! That was in all caps when I copied and pasted. I don't know why. Oh, okay. When Samantha's junkyard is visited by a UFO looking for spare parts, she is only too happy to oblige. That's what you do. Yeah. But when word gets out she's a reliable source, Sam's booming alien business catches the attention of an Area 51 investigator determined to shut her down. Blah, 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 blah. Terry Moore's friend has a new series. Sounds rad. I'm excited. I, rad. I think it's a great premise. Yeah. I, I, I love Strangers in Paradise. I mm-hmm. love the, uh, you know, the real world kind of romance, crime, drama that he was doing. Uh, but I love that he has just slipped into like full on genre. Oh, yeah. Sci-fi, superhero, horror. I think it's great. And this looks like cheesy sci-fi, like 50s era. Ton of fun. I'm um, sure. It's going to be great. Matt, what is your pick for next week? I had to do it. I had no choice. My pick is Cerebus in Hell, number zero. You didn't have a choice? Are you sure? I have no choice. From Aardvark Vanheim, written by Dave Sim. Art by Sim and Various, who we love their work. 
32 pages for four bucks. Here's your solicit. The first new Cerebus comic since 2004. Where has Cerebus been since he died 12 years ago? Is he in hell? Purgatory? Limbo? I'm going to guess hell because it's in the title. Some strange 1980 disco with links to close encounters of the third kind and Harry Kissinger. Some ancient Greek disco with links to Plato, Socrates, and Aristotle. Some 1990s disco with links to the Stone Roses, the Happy Mondays, and Oasis. Is he stuck inside his own Cerebus online disco Twitter feed? Well, wherever he is, he deserves it. So, feel free to laugh <laughs> at his misfortune. This one-shot leads into the Cerebus in Hell four-issue miniseries in 2017, celebrating Cerebus's 40th anniversary. Is this an actual comic book about Cerebus? Yes. When I, I just thought it was like... I guess I didn't look too much into it when I first heard about it. You know how they did that book, Finding Cerebus? Yes. But it was really more about like the, the insane musings of Dave Sim? Ye, well... This it wasn't an actual comic book. Very well could be more of the insane musings of Dave Sim. I have to go. I have to read this. I like, guess we'll find out. I would run outside to see the car accident that happened in front of my house. But <laughs> you know what I mean? Did you even read Cerebus? <laughs> yeah, I loved Cerebus. Okay. I completely loved Cerebus. All right, that's right. I mean, I just didn't know that about you. Yeah, it just towards the end there. It, we weren't doing this podcast in 2004. It wandered off towards the end. I'll tell you what. <laughs> well. Here's open. It's like I have to check and see how crazy Dave Sim is. <laughs> well, I guess we'll find out together. Yep. The THN trade of the week goes to the Muhammad Ali hardcover from Dark Horse Comics, written by Sabil Titu. Titu. And art by, no joke, Amazing Amazian. Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, probably not her given name. Pseudonym. It's 128 pages for 19.99. That's, you know, that's not bad. Not a bad deal. No, no, no. Uh, here's the solicit. An original graphic novel celebrating the life of the glorious athlete who metamorphosed from Cassius Clay to become a three-time heavyweight boxing legend, activist, and provocateur. Muhammad Ali, not only a titan in the world of sports, but in the world itself, he dared to be different and to challenge and defy through his refusal to be drafted to fight in Vietnam, his rejection of his quote-unquote slave name, and ultimately his final fight with his body itself through a 30 year battle with Parkinson's disease witness what made Ali different, what made him cool, what made him the greatest. Awesome. This is a first um, English translation of a celebrated and acclaimed French graphic novel brought to the States for the first time. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. It looked really interesting. go over this one more time so the melvins are stoners but they play sludge metal it's different whereas sleep who are also stoners play stoner doom subtle difference you following me here but where does limousine fit into this equation <laughs> they would have they would have been more of a hair metal band. yes yes i see your confusion though of course kids we want to know what you guys are reading next week so Hit us up over at the forums or on our Facebook page and post a link to something that you think we don't talk about enough and need to be reading. We want to hear from you guys. Back in the day, comic companies used to take full advantage of months with five Wednesdays by flooding the stands with a wacky fifth week event, most of which live in infamy. See JL Aliens oh. uh, for a good example yeah. of a fifth week event that is awful. Horrible. Here in the Ziggurat, we like to continue that tradition with a fifth week top five countdown. Since it's the Halloween metal show, it only seems right to count down our top five. 
Giving my number five to the son of Satan himself, Damien Hellstrom. But I went with his sister instead, Satana. Created by Roy Thomas and John Romita Sr. in the pages of Vampire Tales, number two. Satana is the half demon daughter of Satan and sister of Damien Hellstrom. You guessed it, the son of Satan. Satana is technically a succubus that drains souls of men, transforming it into an ethereal butterfly that she then eats like a lizard. She can also gain superhuman strength by using weapons that have been used to kill people. Murder weapons and stuff like that. Murder weapons. Satana is a stone cold bitch usually when she shows up. Nobody likes her. She messes around in magic. My favorite version of Satana is when she is pictured with horns and furry boots as she was drawn in the 80s for a while there. I love Satana. I miss those characters and I wish they played a bigger part of the Ghost Rider supernatural universe. More Satana, please. Meh, I don't care. Oh, whatever. I really, I never really cared. Who's your number five? My number five, baby, is Blue Devil <laughs> from DC Comics. <laughs> Blue Devil is a superhero, uh, sometimes in the Justice League, sometimes not. But you might be saying, hey, Joe Patrick, Joe Patrick, hold up, hold up. Blue Devil's not really a demon. He was a stuntman. He was a stuntman who was trapped inside a robotic suit that he built. The most yeah. expensive special effect ever created. Also, a suit that does not look robotic whatsoever. No, no, no. It's just like a, it's a it's a it's full of circuitry and stuff. It's like an animatronic suit that he wore uh, for this movie about this character, the Blue Devil, when a real demon trapped him inside the suit. Ah, but later on, he did become a real demon. What a coinky So he is <laughs> definitely eligible for this list. Um, I think Blue Devil is just dorky and super oh, fun yeah um so stupid i like i am not really a fan of the woe is me blue devil which we had for a bit in the 90s i like the fun loving blue beetle he was created uh, said blue, blue beetle, beetle. <laughs> the fun loving blue devil he was created in 1984 by dan mishkin gary cone and paris cullens in his own self-titled comic because that's what happened back in the 80s yeah if they had a new character they were just like here comic boom yeah <laughs> and then it would last for two years and be great i miss him yeah. I, I they keep bringing him back and every time they do he's just a little bit let's shit. rebirth blue <laughs> make devil. blue devil great again <laughs> matt bomb who is your number four my number four goes to mephisto Marvel's devil and cosmic entity that just happens to look like the devil when parental groups start asking questions. He's created by Stan Lee and John Bushima and first appeared in the pages of the Silver Surfer, number three, back in 1968. Mephisto is a controversial character because Marvel said he is the devil, then Marvel said he is not the devil, Marvel said he's the ruler of hell. And Blackheart's father, and then they said, no, he's a cosmic it's a, alien. It's a dimension that's sort of like hell. That runs a dimension that just happens to look a lot like hell. My favorite <laughs> my favorite little bullshit <laughs> disclaimer that Marvel ever did came on the back of the very first series of Marvel trading cards in 1990, uh, where they gave, for some inexplicable reason, they gave Mephisto his own card. And on the back of those cards were little fun factoids called did you know question mark right and uh the factoid for mephisto was though he has made such claims and definitely is similar in appearance he is definitely not the biblical devil. <laughs> yeah. 
and that is so when your parents find your Marvel cards, yeah. they don't have a freaking freak out. Oh, this was right in the heart of the, like, did. the big like Satanism and kidnapping like bull that took place in the 80s where nothing like that was actually going on. That's the thing that I love about Mephisto so much is the way Marvel has danced around the fact mm. That he is or is not the devil. <laughs> I just love it. It's so ridiculous. Joe Patrick, give me your number four. My number four is Ghost Rider. Okay. Uh, you know, I thought about Mephisto. I've thought about putting Mephisto on my list, but ultimately, I think Mephisto is kind of one note. He's sort of boring to me. What are you talking about? Sometimes he, he's trading in souls. Other times he's trading in marriages. <laughs> Maybe I'm just sour about the whole Spider-Man Sometimes thing. Sometimes he's flying through space shooting lasers at the Silver Surfer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, yeah he's complex yeah. anyway i chose ghost rider who uh specifically um i guess there have been many versions of ghost rider yeah uh there's the 90s version that was dan catch i got a who, hot take there's been too many versions yes of ghost i definitely agree <laughs> but they can't even decide which ghost rider is possessed by which demon like, yeah the original Ghost Rider, not the original Ghost Rider, the 70s Ghost Rider, yes. Johnny Blaze, the uh, motorcycle stuntman. The first Ghost Rider we met. Right. Was possessed by a demon named Zarathos. Yes. Uh, he sold his soul to Mephisto. If you, actually, if you read those old comics, he sold his soul to straight up Satan. Yes. And they retroactively Satan, made it Mephisto. Who's not Satan. Right. <laughs> and uh, he was bonded to this uh, skull-headed, fiery demon who... He could just barely, barely, barely keep enough control over so that when he went out exacting his dark vengeance, he only did it to bad guys. I should also mention son of Satan is not Mephisto's kid. No. Nope. So don't know what's going on there. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, that's a whole separate. We could have a whole hour long yeah. conversation about. I'll, I'll plug that in. Uh, the hierarchy of demonic. Uh, it is wackadoo. The demonic hierarchies in the respective DC and Marvel pantheons. Uh, then you had the Danny catch ghostwriter who was not possessed by Zarathos, but was instead the spirit of vengeance. Yes. And so there's a lot of different, well, versions. but later on we found out that no, he no, was no. lied to, didn't we? And that he was actually I working for Zarathos because I remember specific comics during that run where they definitely say Zarathos is a different character. Yeah. And so I don't even know. I'm not even sure. Marvel's on, not even sure. I thought later on we found out that it, they were, he was lied to or they were teasing him or something. That, I don't know. You know, that all might be, but I don't even think Marvel can keep it straight. No. So my philosophy is don't worry about it. There's a guy. He's possessed by something. Yes. He turns into a fiery headed skeleton man and he uh, busts heads. And I think it's cool. You know, is my least favorite Ghost Rider? The one on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. No, I, I, it's stupid. It's kind of growing on it me. It is dumb. I like the car. It's dumb, like stupid, the... dumb. I didn't mind the series with the car. That didn't bother me. The Justin Jordan series yeah. was actually kind of fun, but this is just dumb. What's it, dumb about it? It doesn't work on that show at all. It just I disagree. Work. I think he's great on the show. No. He's totally rad. No, whatever. Oh, my God. You just want to hate Agents they of S.H.I.E.L.D. They just farted Ghost, the Ghost Rider into the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. world, where they should have done him somewhere else. Do him on like a Netflix show with more supernatural aspects or something. There, there's nothing supernatural other than aliens going on on that show. And now you introduce Ghost Rider. It just doesn't but work. But Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has always been about introducing these concepts. Yeah, but they're all aliens. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> no, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. introduced the Inhumans. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. introduced the concept of the Kree. I gotcha. None and of now they're addressing the supernatural. Both in of, advance of which of the you Doctor just Strange named movie. are aliens. 
Stop trying to put the goddamn show in a box. They address the fantastical concepts of I the Marvel Universe. I just think it doesn't work there for me at all. I don't like it. You are dumb. Whatever. What is your number three? My number three goes to Surter, another guy that just happens to look like Satan, but isn't Satan. He's Norse Satan. <laughs> he's the king of Muspelheim. And he's a fire demon that first appeared in the pages of Journey into Mystery number 99. Sword. He does have a giant sword. The Twilight Sword. Got horns. Great big. Uh, he's on fire. He was created by Kirby and he's Stanley. Got a big old belly. Yep. He's a big fat fire demon that's been messing around with Thor for years using fire magic and godlike strength. When Surtur shows up, bad stuff happens. He <laughs> is a big bad fire demon. All the Norse gods are, are fear him. He's bad bad news. I love Surtur. Surtur's cool. He's always been drawn as like this big horned like sort of sometimes he has a bull head other times he's just has like a scary demon face but he's always fat and he's got cloven hooves and he's always on fire <laughs> yeah i mean don't touch him yeah the <laughs> bad news joe patrick who's your number three my number three is Bator <laughs> from the pages of hitman introduced by garth ennis and john mccray in their previous series uh the demon which Hitman was a spinoff from. Bator is a demon from hell escaped. Uh, he has some sort of <laughs> brain damage. I don't Something. know. Something's wrong with Bator yeah. or he just chooses to act this way uh, where he just behaves like a maniac. Yeah. Uh, his mouth is full of improbable teeth <laughs> that are sometimes not teeth. <laughs> sometimes they're corkscrews or ice picks well, or whatever. Probable. Uh, basically, he's just like a giant mouth with a huge tongue wagging out. He serves drinks at Noonan's bar <laughs> and he just runs around shouting his name. I am Bator! <laughs> and he's very violent and very powerful. You don't want to cross yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. Um, don't screw around in Bator's bar. But also, if you read Hitman, you will find out that he's also like very loving, <laughs> like strangely <laughs> loving. Uh, I love Bator. I love Bator. Every time he shows up, I love that they keep dragging him out. He's my number three. All right. What do you got? The only DC demon to make my list. Yeah. Lucifer. Created what, by... really? Oh, yeah. Created by Neil Gaiman and Sam Keith. DC's Lucifer's first appeared in the pages of the Sandman in 1989. Gaiman and Keith's Lucifer gave up his lordship in hell to run a piano bar called Lux in downtown LA. Gaiman also asked sam keith to draw lucifer to look like david bowie which i love that's <laughs> yeah. so good mike carey wrote the solo lucifer series that i fell in love with at vertigo it ran for 75 issues it was wonderful wonderful stuff this is a lucifer that's more of a poet than a demon that got tired of all the bullshit and baggage in hell and basically came to live with humans to try and understand why God chose them over the angels and stuff like that. Why God chose them over the angels. It is a wonderful book and it's so much better than that stupid TV show we got. Where he's a detective? Oh, God. You know where he does, in the comic book, he doesn't solve crimes? Oh, my God. It's like that's all you're allowed to do on TV anymore. That's it. You're going to have a TV show? Oh, better be either a detective or somebody that's wacky with a special talent that's forced to work with a detective. You're like, oh, f off. Ugh. <laughs> I hate it. Joe Patrick, what's your number two? Uh, so my number two is pretty much interchangeable with my number three. In fact, if I'm being perfectly honest... Uh, I think I might enjoy it when Bator shows up a little bit more, okay. but in terms of prominence, my number two is Edrigan, the demon, which I can't believe you did not pick. 
I like Etrigan. I think Etrigan is great. He is cre- he was created by Jack Kirby in He's the seventies. Cool. He's very cool. Uh, he is a rhyming demon, which is a rank in the hierarchy, yes. which I think is super neat. Uh, and so he is forced to speak in couplets. Some of them are just real stretches, but yeah. I think that's part of his charm. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, there have been some fun stories where he's been, I think, like demoted and he doesn't have to rhyme anymore, but it's because he's lost power. Yes. Uh, and I just I love that idea. Uh, Etrigan was a there have been lots of retcons regarding his origin in yeah. the original story. Uh, he was a demon that was bonded to the soul of a man from Camelot named Jason Blood by Merlin. Mm-hmm. Uh, what they later revealed is that Jason Blood is not real and that Jason Blood and Etrigan are the same. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I believe so. Oh, um, okay. I did not know this. Yeah. And uh, but like I said, there's been lots of back and forth retconning uh, about that character. Right. Uh, he's definitely Jason Blood is definitely a, a separate personality because he's trying to be a good person or at least he's got his own agenda. Sure. The run again, the run of the demon from the nineties by Garth Ennis uh, is absolute must read for uh, fans of the character. The Jack Kirby demon stuff is really great as well. Oh, fantastic. very, very different in tone. Yeah. Jason um, blood showed up in the pages of uh, Batman for a while there as Bruce's sort of supernatural go-to. When, yeah. Oh man. It was so cool. There was a fun storyline this was a kind of a weird time in the JLA books after Mark Wade left and Joe Kelly took over Okay, um, where there were a couple of really long storylines that in hindsight are better than they were, than they were received at the time. Um, the obsidian age yeah. stuff where the JLA is. Oh yeah. The, the justice league goes back to ancient, ancient Atlantis and is yeah. killed. That was cool. Uh, and, uh, Nightwing is forced to assemble a new JLA in the present and Jason blood, not the demon Jason blood is recruited as a member oh, of Nightwing's right. JLA. That's right. Uh, it's super fun. There was a great, um, uh, mini series by Matt Wagner starring the demon in the eighties. Like I mean, immediately I following the crisis too. Lots of great books starring great. Etrigan. Yeah, I should have put, I should have put Etrigan in there instead of Surter, but I do like Surter. I mean, Surter's fun. He's cool. But yeah, Etrigan, gone, gone, former man, yeah. rides again, the demon Etrigan. I got a thing for guys with horns. I hear, I hear you. Know, I get but. you. Here we are. I can only assume that our answers are the same for this. Of course. Uh, so let's talk about Hellboy. Yeah, <laughs> of course. <laughs> it has to be Hellboy. Speaking of dudes with horns. Right. My favorite thing about Hellboy, it was when, like, when Mike Mignola first drew him, he just had these, like, circles on his head, and they didn't really explain much about it. And it turns out there are horns that he files down. <laughs> yeah, because he's trying to fit in. It's so cool. No one has written a better horror character, horror universe with like keeping things lighthearted and tongue in cheek when they need to be, but still terrifying and satanic and dark and historic. And then Mike Mignola and his Hellboy and BPRD universe. Here's here is my take on BPRD and Hellboy. I have never been scared by it. There's a difference to me between horror right. and like gothic horror. Yes. Like, or like, um, classic horror like right. universal monsters type stuff well-researched folklore and right stuff like folklore that. yeah um i love i don't i don't find the mignolaverse scary though it's full of monsters and demons it's so creepy though yeah yes it's creepy. A, it's atmospheric and yeah. moody but it's i appreciate it for its rich deep folklore and right. backstory 
and everything counts and everything builds on each other. Yes. It uh, is more like the movie, the witch than it is say, uh, return of the living dead. Right. right. You know? <laughs> and I, that's, I love it. I love that sort of supernatural. Hellboy, I would argue is one of the best fleshed out supernatural comics in comics period. Well, I think it's the best fleshed out supernatural yeah, universe in comics. He has to be. And Hellboy one. is not just a great demonic character. Hellboy is one of the best characters ever created period. in comics. Period. Yeah. Probably one of the only things keeping Dark Hot Horse take. afloat. <laughs> no, they've got all that license money. Oh man. yeah. All that catbird money they got coming in. Angel Catbird. Yeah. They have they have aliens and Puerto. <laughs> This is a fun top five counting down our favorite demons. We want to hear about your favorite demons. Head over to the Two-Headed Nerd forums. We've got a top five section. List us your top five comic books, demons, devils. I'll even pick their kids, you know. Or your top five favorite whatever. We got a whole we got a whole topic for it. And that is it for the annual THN Halloween. Metal Show! Episode 270. If you, like us, prefer your lyrics growled and howled rather than sung, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And while you're there, leave us your star ratings, your reviews, your thumbs up, and your little hearts because it helps us to connect with other potential listeners. And if you don't do it, we'll destroy your soul! Nice. Wow. Yeah. Thank you to all of our donors. You keep us stocked with pentagrams and pig's bloods. And if you want to support the show, you can do so by clicking our PayPal button at twoeditor.com. Little known, the plural of pig's blood is pig's bloods. Just like you said. You said it correct. <laughs> you said pig's bloods. Pig's bloods. <laughs> yeah. To become a sustaining member, simply check the make this donation monthly box when you donate. Remember, as little as a buck a month helps us out immensely. Or if you're one of those poor bastards that doesn't have a local comic shop, you can shop for all of your questionably anti-Christian funny books through our Amazon button at tooitandnerd.com. Don't show your parents. They're not necessarily anti-Christian. They're just pagan. Pagan, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just, I was yeah. riffing and I, that's all. People against goodness and normalcy. Right, yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to get in touch with us, hit us up at tooitandnerd. <laughs> hit us up at tooitandnerd at gmail.com. You know, you can like send us a sketch of what you think the two-headed nerd looks like. And if you want to connect with us over, if you want to connect with us elsewhere, head over to twoheadednerd.com where you can find links to all our contact info via Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Tumblr, where we post both the cocktail of the week and the outtake of the week. And the Ziggurat Hotline, 402-819-4894. Use it to answer the question of the week or play along with all of our fun little segments. It's very forceful. Yes. If you dig the music you hear on the show, you can normally subscribe to our soundtrack playlist on Spotify by searching for Matt Bomb's Spotify profile, but I do not recommend it with this week's episode. Oh, whatever, man. <laughs> Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Randy Andrews, host of the Soundtrack Alley podcast, who celebrated his birthday just a few days ago. And, and THN fan artist Randy Andrews. Yeah, yeah, drew a picture of us. Where do you, buddy? Everyone show Randy some love by checking out his podcast on iTunes. It's fun. And until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might burn all your satanic records. This is a two-headed nerd. Say